Hi everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Premier Crew. Uh, today it's Hugo and I, and we're talking you through three wines. We've got a white and two reds. The white's from Lebanon, and the two reds are from France, but different areas. So one's Beaujolais and one's Rhone. Um, really, really exciting. So it'll be fitting across our good value, wacky and wonderful and fine wine categories. Um, should all be absolutely delicious. Looking forward to get, getting stuck in. Hugo, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm well, I'm well. I had a, I had a pretty fun weekend. I went to a really cool Italian restaurant, Manteca. Didn't it, do you know? Uh, yeah, yeah, I know of it. I've never been. I've never been. Yeah, um, it's, it's, I didn't realise it was Italian, actually. Yeah, it's very cool. Um, for anyone who's not been listening, uh, it's an Italian uh, restaurant in Shoreditch. And yeah, we had a pretty cool meal. Started with some beef tartare, crab pasta, had a sort of light vino verde just to wrap it all up. So yeah, it was it was really good, delicious meal. Um, yeah, highly recommend. Yeah, yeah. Well, you've been, I think you've been like three times now, haven't you? Four times? Yeah, so three or four <clears> times. <throat> um, but yeah, really good. Never fails, never fails. Also, like, as long as you don't go on to the secondi patty, uh, you know, you can do it at a pretty good budget, to be honest. Okay. Uh, okay. So it's like quite a good ambiance, trendy people, trendy crowd. Uh, and yeah, it's just pretty good, to be honest. So yeah, highly recommend. Sounds like a good Friday, Saturday night. Yeah, it was. It was. It was. Um, yeah, I mean, Shoreditch on a Friday is always just like pretty heaving. But yeah, it was good. And Very one nice. bottle of wine? Just one. Just one. And okay. actually, they got a banging well, wine. Well, just two of you? Yeah, two okay. of us. Yeah. Yeah, just two of us. Just two of us. And also, we went, uh, I'd also advise this, we went to a, a bar before. Called, well, it's not really a bar, but a fo- the Photo Book Cafe. But it's just quite a like, fun spot nearby uh, if you're looking for a, for a drink before. And they've got like lots of cool photography books that you can just sort of leave through whilst you're there. Okay. Um, so how, yeah, how, did, how did you fun. come across this place? Uh, I don't know. It just comes up on Instagram. You know, it's one of those. Um, and it's also just like, you know, a spot where people who you know, follow things about photography, it sort of just crops up every now and again. Uh, but yeah, it's quite a good spot. They've got quite a nice array. And I had a, a new Spanish beer in there. I haven't okay. had before, but I've forgotten the name. But well, it's quite like Australia. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No one would have heard <laughs> of it before. San Miguel. <laughs> no, no, no. It's, uh, I can't remember what it was called, but it was really nice. So, okay. um, yeah, yeah. Great weekend. Great weekend. How was yours? Very good. Yeah, mine was good. Um, I, was, I was back at home, joined, uh, visiting the parents, joined the countryside, walks with the dog. Anyway, should we, should we tuck let's into get, the let's first get stuck wine? in? Um, so we're going to kick off uh, the episode today with a wacky and wonderful wine. Um, it is a wine from Lebanon. Uh, it's a white wine. Um, and it's by a producer called Chateau Moussard. Um, and the grape, it's a blend of two white grapes indigenous to Lebanon. One's called Obeda and the other's called Merwa. Uh, and we got this one from a cool wine merchant uh, in uh, Lincolnshire uh, called Sandoms. And I think it, it retails a very reasonable sort of 28 uh, 99 um, So yeah, really cool. Those who, the committed listeners amongst you. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah, I don't know how many of you are. Um, Would have we realised that we we had the red Chateau Moussard in in the first episode, and we covered quite a lot of ground on sort of the history of the family and things like that. So we won't regurgitate it all. Um, but quick backdrop, um, you know, the Hotchar family who run the estate, they're the Hoshar, 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 yeah, 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 yeah. Another another name I've managed to absolutely <laughs> kibosh. Um, but yeah, the Hoshar family who, who run the state, they set it up in the 1930s and they've just got a really awesome story. Um, you know, they've been producing wine uh, ever since and they even managed to do that uh, throughout the Lebanese Civil War from 75 uh, through to 90. And the winemaker at the time, Serge, uh, actually won Decanter's Man of the Year in 1984, which is super cool. Um, but I think what's really unique about this wine, I mean, 
the red is made from Cabernet Sauvignon, Sanseau, and Carignan, yeah. which are obviously international uh, varieties. Um, and the links between the family and France are quite clear because Serge studied winemaking in Bordeaux and it's no surprise he came up with that blend. But I think the cool thing about this is that the white grape varieties are indigenous um, to Lebanon. Um, so it is a uniquely... Apparently they are, yeah. A uniquely Lebanese wine. Yeah. Well, yeah, Obeda, which is um, makes up the majority of the blend at about 60%. Yeah, 60% Obeda, yeah. Um, has some very tenuous links uh, with Chardonnay. Mm. And then Merwa as well has some tenuous links uh, with Semillon. Um, in that they're from the same family. But I think those links are pretty unproven. Uh, and as such, you know, this is like a... So they are seen as their own grape varieties, basically. Exactly. Independent grape yeah. varieties, indigenous to yeah. uh, Lebanon, I think is how they're viewed. Um, I'm sure someone would debate that for me and I wouldn't have a response. But yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, that, that's sort of what, what, what the general um, consensus is. And yeah, in terms of where this is in Lebanon, I think one of the super cool things, again, is how far away the grapes are grown from each other. So Merwa um, is planted on a mountain, uh, Mount Lebanon, just outside Beirut. And then Obeda is uh, planted um, on a mountain chain called the Anti-Lebanon Mountains, which is just by the Syrian border. Um, So they're super far apart from each other. And I did a little bit of Googling and went onto Google Maps. And it's a 250-kilometer drive between the two mountain ranges, uh, approximately. That's pretty mental. Yeah, a a day's walk, apparently. Sorry, a day's walk? Yeah. 250 kilometers? That's what Google estimates. (laughs) <laughs> 250 so, kilometers yeah i don't know how fast you're walking but apparently Sheep, i think i walk at about like uh four miles an hour yeah three or four miles an hour so yeah i mean okay that, that would be a pretty also with some grapes on your back you wouldn't be Fucking enjoying get that. shifting jeez okay, okay. yeah uh, anyway sorry that's that's a google map estimation um but yeah so they're both at really high altitude on good mountain ranges mm. and as we discussed last time um you know the lebanese wine well, Lebanon is further south than either Italy or Spain. So there's lots of sunlight, which means the grapes ripen. But because it's such high altitude, um, what it means is there's good shifts between day and nighttime temperatures. Mm. So the grapes uh, retain that freshness, um, which, you know, is super, super important. Um, and yeah, I think we should just get in and, 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 and give this wine a try. Yeah, let's, let's give it a go. We've had, um, we've had Musa White on a couple of occasions before. Um, one not too long ago at your birthday dinner, actually. Um, yeah, it was very, very cool. Cause that's actually one of the unique things about this wine is how long you can age it for. Um, you know, this, this vintage is 2010, which some might even say, Oh, that seems quite old for a white wine. But the one that we had on my birthday, uh, was a 1998. Yeah. Um, yeah. so, you know, well over, uh, 20 years of bottle age. So I was just doing the math then. 20, 24, 20, 25. 20, yeah, 25, <laughs> yeah, 25 years of, um, uh, bottle age uh, and it and it and it rewards it but it changes quite a lot in style what, yeah. what are you sort of getting on the wine this like weird, weirdly enough um this to me smells like quinces and i say that because yesterday funny enough thanks to my uncle i was actually um putting a load of quinces into the freezer because i'm mm. going to make some um uh quince jelly later Ooh. on <laughs> yeah. very nice i know it should be which should be good but um i hope you'll be sharing it yeah absolutely absolutely one of our one of our dinners but um 
the 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 quinces that I was smelling yesterday. They're, they're they're quite distinct. Anyone doesn't know what a quince looks like. They're sort of they look quite gnarly. They they're, they're like a pear, but they're they're not quite as well proportioned as a pear. They're a bit more rustic, really gnarly. They've got a yellow skin with these sort of few brown spots over them. Yeah, I'm, gl- I'm glad you clarified because I literally have no idea what a quince looks like. But. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but literally, uh, the first thing when we when we um, when we poured the wine, I, I smelt it initially, and Hugo was like, "Oh, what do you think it's like?" And I said, "Quinces." And that's literally because I had my head in a bag of quinces yesterday. Um, it's sort of like a apple. It's it's slightly. It's, there's an apple character here, but it's also like caramel in there. It's like a toffee apple profile. There's something a little bit honeyed about yeah. this wine, um, but it's not sweet at all. Like, don't think honey and sweet. It's it's sort of this. I don't know how to describe it. Like dry honey. It's like beeswaxy almost. It's also awesome that you're not going to find this wine. You know, you're not going to just go into a random wine shop and just find some abeda and murder myrrh on the shelf. Mm. Um, so in that sense, you know, it feels really unique. And I think there's, you know, something like quite romantic about the story. Um, I guess other things just to add about uh, Musar, you know, they're organic in viticulture since I think like 2006. Mm-hmm. And one other quite cool thing about them um, is that... Um, well, this one, for example, is aged, is fermented uh, in oak. Um and the partly. grapes partly and the grapes can stand up to that and i think you can also slightly taste that although it's not overdone mm. um but what's awesome is that they don't release once bottled they don't release the wines for sort of seven years which means that most of the vintages you find or in you know on the shelves or, or at wine shops normally already have a bit of bottle age and are ready to sort of go at uh obviously knowing that you know you can age them for ages but mm. it's yeah they're still you're... certainly worth opening in advance and decanting but yes, exactly that. They they release them because they the um, the estate only release the wines when they deem them ready to drink, which is just quite cool. Because then you know if you if you're not you know, collecting for a seller, you've actually you know when you go into a shop and buy something off the shelf, you've got something that is yeah is is ready to go. Definitely decant. And I think one of the key things actually to say with this white is that treat it like a like a red wine, not a white wine, and that's what. Serge used to always say, and to drink, you know, treat treat the reds, treat the whites like the reds, um, decant them well in advance of trying them, and don't serve them at fridge temperature. Serve them at why well, I think it says on the back of the bottle there. I can't read it from here, but like fifteen degrees or something, yeah. which you know is like a coolish room temp. Well, pretty cold room temp, but far away from far away from the fridge. So I think you know ours has been sitting in the glass for the last hour whilst um, we've been getting everything ready yeah. today. Do you, <clears throat> let's, let's move on to the, the second wine. Okay, yeah, second wine. So um, falling into our good value category for this episode, um, we have a wine from the Rhone. Um, so from France, it's from the Rhone. It's a Grenache sort of Syrah Mouvedre blend. Uh, it's available from Lee and Sandman. They've been working with the producer for a long time and it retails for £18.50, I think. Yeah. Um, and so the the producers Domaine de la Modore, um, and they're based in the Southern Rhone. But before we get into the Southern Rhone, it might just be useful to kind of contextualize the Rhone as a as a whole. Um, the Rhone is is massive. It's France's second largest um, wine producing appellation. Uh, it starts just south of Lyon, um, and it stretches all the way southwards to the coast, um, covering about two hundred uh, two hundred kilometers. Um, it's essentially split into 27, uh, sorry, 30 appellations, 27 different grape varieties, 5,000 producers across the region. So obviously this is quite a lot to take in, but 
the the sort of easy way to look at it um, is that it's split into two parts conveniently. Yeah. So you have the Northern Rhone and you have the Southern Rhone. So this wine, as I mentioned, is from the Southern Rhone, um, which is what we're going to be focusing on. But just to kind of contextualize it, the, the, the Northern Rhone produces only 5% of the wine of the whole Rhone Valley. The Southern Rhone is responsible for producing 95% of all the of wine from all of the Rhone Valley. So whilst it's kind of split north and south, they're by no means equal in terms of production. Mm. You can have arguments over quality. Um, and ultimately that just comes down to stylistic differences and probably probably what you prefer. But Northern Rhone, um, yeah, a few appellations up there, 5% of total production. And the main, main red grape there is Syrah. Southern Rhone, 95% of total production. And essentially, you've got 27 different um, appellations. Um, and most of it is Grenache. There are also a host of other uh, red and white varieties yeah. that are grown. But so yeah, I think most of it's Grenache. That's quite an easy rule of thumb, isn't it? It's like, if you're thinking about the Rhone, Northern, and you know, I think the vast majority of production, hopefully on the show, we will actually get some whites on. Uh, mm. from the Rhone because they're really quite interesting and, and and delicious but the vast majority of it is red and you know Northern Rhone it's going to be Syrah Southern Rhone yeah. uh, it's going to be a most likely a blend and most likely to be Grenache dominated blend yeah yeah exactly exactly um, so that's a little bit about yeah the, the Rhone as a whole we'll, we'll do just sort of touch on Southern Rhone in a bit more detail which will help us contextualise sort of what this wine is so there's essentially four wines that can be produced in the Southern Rhone. Okay. So you have, and this is testing my knowledge a bit and it gets a little bit confusing, but essentially there's Cote de Rhone, which is the, the sort of base level entry level wines that are produced from, from across the, the region. And out of all the wine that's produced in the Southern Rhone, 50% of that is classed as Cote de Rhone. So that's, that's your, your, your main staple. Um, next up, you have Cote de Rhone Village. So Cote de Rhone Village is, from, uh, is essentially a step up in, in, in quality. And there's 95 communes within the Southern Rhone that can produce Cote de Rhone Village. Okay, bear with me. There's then Cote de Rhone with a named village, along, which can be listed on the label. Out of those 95 communes that can produce Cote de Rhone Village, 18 can produce a Cote de Rhone with the village name on the label, essentially. And this is, again, you know, essentially designating a step up in, in quality. And then finally, the highest quality level, you have the, the crew sites. So there's 17 crew sites in the Southern Rhone. Most will know the name Chateauneuf de Pape, but there are also 16 others, Vacaras, Lirac, Gigondas as well. Mm. So essentially... W- not dissimilar to Beaujolais, we'll get on that, get, get onto that in a minute. But essentially, there's yeah, four different types of wine. Cote de Rhone is the majority of the production, um, and that's what we're drinking today. And it's uh, you know, entry level, it's an entry level wine. And it's, I think Cote de Rhone produces some of the um, the best value wines that you know you, you can kind of go. If you if you go into a wine shop or if you go into a supermarket, I think um, you know, Cote de Rhone or even Cote de Rhone Village in particular you know, because they're slightly under the radar. No one knows, knows them that well. Um, I think you essentially find yourself getting, um, getting, getting really good value they, wines. They're pretty much always, I mean, unless you're going for a really top producer, <clears throat> yeah. they invariably retail under 20 quid. Exactly. And they're just an absolute yeah. banker uh, if you want something sort of like, you know, for a dinner party or to please people. 
Yeah, yeah, I completely agree. Completely agree. I would say, like, uh, this is probably my, you know, um, just from my experience, but the different styles from different producers, some are very much on the heavier side and some are on the slightly lighter side. So if you have one that you don't immediately like, definitely don't let that put you off because I used to really not be a fan of, you know, uh, Rones and now actually thanks to you because you've, you've served me quite a few blind, which I've actually really enjoyed. Um, so, you know, thanks, thanks to you. I, I, I now like them. So um, if you're, if you are put off at all, just, you know, keep, keep trying because there's di- different styles out there. Yeah. And I think it's that Grenache, isn't it? Mm. So Grenache is the, the, the dominant grape variety, but in those really hot vintages when it's not looked after, it can become quite stewy and sweet. And yeah, like jammy fruit. Get a bit and sticky. then people who look after it, it has actually like a really nice freshness whilst still remaining very giving. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when it's done like that, um, it's really, really cool. So this is Domaine de la Madore or Mordore. I'm not actually 100% sure how you pronounce it. Um, I'm sure it'll be corrected by Leon Sandman at yeah. some point. Um, but essentially, it's, it's a family run, uh, family run estate. Um, they were set up in 1986. And they're, what they're known for, um, Mordore, they're. they're um, listed always as not only one of the best producers um, in the Rhone, but they also always have um, a tick against their name for consistency. They're known for producing good wines across all vintages, um, year in, year out. Um, and so that it's also quality, but also the, the consistency that's, that sort of really stands them apart. So they're located in Tavel, which is in the southern Rhone, um, and they've got 55 hectares of land split across 38 different parcels hmm. so yeah good luck to whoever's making the wine keeping <laughs> yeah. keep an eye on everything that's going on because that must be um yeah that must be quite Bar- difficult. barrel management's yeah a key key, key skill on the cv though. yeah it's like well, where do you begin with all that stuff you know you have to different you know harvest different plots at different times and there's different i think you quite like it. different plots you're quite organized yeah yeah i've, I've yeah slightly on that ocd front i think I, yeah i think if i had a system in place that helped me manage it i could cope yeah we'll develop one yeah yeah, uh, um, but it, otherwise, yeah, otherwise it'd be it'd be stressing me out. Um, but yeah, the Delorme family um, they 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 also produce whites. Um, we're drinking red today. They, they also produce whites and rosés as well, which I've never had, but they're meant to be very very good. You know, darker in profile, and yeah. stuff, But they're, they're meant to be really really good. Um, and essentially, the Delorme family since their inception uh, have have really been focused on um, quality of. Uh, quality of the land, they focus on terroir. Their philosophy, I think, is love of the land. Mm. Um, so when they were founded in 1986, their focus has always been on looking after the environment, creating a natural harmony between the environment and the vines um, to ensure that, you know, soil quality is kept and that, you know, there's a natural, um, they follow, they are organically certified, but they follow biodynamic principles and practices. Mm. And it's essentially to ensure that, everything's working in harmony and there's natural defenses against things like climate and fungus and yeast and insects and all that kind of stuff. Um, Whilst like keeping that biodiversity, I guess. Yeah, exactly. Whilst keeping the biodiversity. So they're sort of working, working with, excuse me, sorry. Yeah. Very much working with the land in the way that they, in the way they produce the wine. And that's, that's been their philosophy since, since inception. What what do you think of the wine? Have you had a chance to? Yeah, I have. So, um, as I mentioned, yeah, not not all Cote de Rhone, depending on sort of style, are my thing. Um, but this is really good. It's blackberry leaf, um, blackberry. It's sort of got a classic rusticity. You mentioned it already, but I think coming into winter, this is really the type of wine that you want to be 
drinking on a cold evening um, with some, you know, I don't know, stew, pie, yeah. osabuco, something like that, you know, um, something hearty uh, with a glass of this would work really, really well. But yeah, on the nose, it, it's blackberry, it's rustic, um, but it's not, it's not in any way, shape or form, I don't find, heavy or thick or sticky. There's definitely concentration of fruit and it's bold in profile, but it doesn't have that awful overly stewed sweet syrupy yeah, profile yeah, yeah. that a lot of um you know a, a lot and of on the palate on the palate uh, just because i've just had a sip that comes through because the acidity is really good it like pulls everything together lifts mm-hmm. the sort of opulence of the fruit and how giving the wine is um so yeah it's really really cool and yeah i guess slightly sort of wild gamey character to it as well which is like something that you often find uh in those southern Rome blends so yeah an awesome wine yeah, well, even even podcast aside, you actually bought this for a dinner party on Saturday. Yeah, I did. I did. I did. I think people liked it as well, which was good. So, so you were sharing with me. Yeah, how, I know. How kind much, to, much to my reluctance, I saw someone like dip over, take half the bottle, and I was like, ah, at least I'll enjoy it. Should we move on to the final one, or anything else on the Mordor? I think that covers it off. Um, I think that covers it off, to be honest. I think the final thing just is on the blend. Um, it's not just Grenache, Syrah, and Mouvedre. So it's 40 Grenache, 30 Syrah, 15 Sasso. 10% Carignan and 5% Mouvedre, just to be just to be clear on the blend. So it's got a couple more in there than just your classic GSM. Um, but I think, to be honest, that, that rounds it off. Yeah. Let's, um, move, let's move on to the final it, one. It. Um, this is the sort of fine wine uh, for the day, although to be fair, the Moussa could, could just as well be. Um, but yeah, it's our fine wine for the day. Uh, it's from the region. It's a French wine. It's a red wine. And it's from the region of uh, Beaujolais from a specific site uh, called Morgan. And it's by a producer called Marcel Lapier. Uh, and we'll come on to his story uh, in a bit because it, it's quite famous and it's a good one to tell. And on top of that, it's from the great variety Gamay, um, which is the sort of red grape of Beaujolais. Uh, and we got this one from Noble Green Wines. And I think it retails at about 34 50 um, But yeah, let's start with just a bit on Beaujolais. I mean, it located, it's sort of, starts at sort of the south end of Burgundy and then goes as far south as Lyon, um, which is sort of a city in between Beaujolais and then the Rhone where we were just drinking uh, the Mordoray from. Um, but I wouldn't let the proximity to Burgundy sort of fool you in any way, shape or form. There are some of the white grapes from Burgundy planted there in small quantities like Chardonnay and Aligoté. Um, but really Beaujolais is all about Gamay uh, and it's a sort of floral, fruity, a uh, grape variety that's sort of medium to light bodied uh, and can be, you know, really, really um, delicious. Um, and I'd say, again, there's sort of four types of Beaujolais you'll see on the market. Beaujolais Nouveau, uh, which is sort of relatively cheap and cheerful, sometimes even lightly sparkling. Mm. And it's sort of bottled and shipped to market uh, weeks after the harvest. And then you've got uh, Beaujolais, which is just, you know, standard Beaujolais. It's sort of like the standard wine that you'd find from the Appalachian. Uh, And then you've got this sort of Beaujolais village, which you sometimes see, which is just a slight step up in quality. And then you've got this set of crew sites, which are sort of individual um, sites, each with their own unique character that make the best uh, Beaujolais. And they really do have different characters. So, you know, Fleury, for example, uh, makes sort of very light floral wines, uh, whereas Moulin Avant is like much more full-bodied. So the one we've got in front of us today is a crew site Beaujolais. It's from the Appalachian or, or from the crew site of Morgan. <clears throat> and that's a slightly darker fruit, uh, full of body style. And it's where a number of 
really, really top Beaujolais producers are based. And the producer that we've got um, today, Marcel Lapier, is exactly that. Uh, he's just a Beaujolais legend uh, and a bit of a pioneer of the natural wine movement, although I feel like that term uh, is not one that I'm like massively a fan of. Um, but, you know, you read anything about natural wines and, you know, him and a couple of others in Beaujolais uh, are likely to be mentioned and are likely to come up. Um, and he's just got an awesome story, Marcel Lapierre, which we'll, we'll, we'll just tell really, really briefly, um, or, or try to do it as briefly as possible. But oddly, um, when you sort of tell his story, it, you have to kind of start with um, another winemaker uh, from Beaujolais called uh, Jules Chauvet. Uh, I've probably pronounced his name wrong. Uh, again, <laughs> this, is gonna, this is gonna be a recurring it's theme. It's gonna be a recurring theme, my yeah. pronunciation. Oh, for both of us, I'm not just saying. I, the, the worst thing is, I mean, it says a lot about the English education system that I did uh, French A level and still can't pronounce a simple French name. Mm. Um, but yeah, Jules Chauvet. Um, was a, a winemaker uh, and a chemist. And it was he who, when um, pesticides and herbicides uh, in the 1950s started to become widely adopted and also widely adopted uh, in winemaking, um, he really spoke out uh, against it almost um, and instead pioneered or, or spoke for natural winemaking, which again, want to kind of come away from that term a little bit you know, because it has all sorts of connotations in the sort of contemporary wine world. Um, and what he sort of felt was that the herbicides and pesticides um, could change the sort of natural balance of the vineyard and cause environmental harm, which, or not environmental harm, but could degrade the environment, which would in turn uh, reduce the quality of the wine that was produced mm -hmm. and also alter its style and expression of the place in which it's come from. Um, and on top of you know, his sort of views on viticulture. He also then started pioneering uh, low intervention wine techniques, such as using natural yeasts uh, for fermentations and using low sulfur uh, when bottling the wine. And he wasn't saying no sulfur. He was just saying, because sulfur is, some would say, a necessary component uh, in order to preserve the wine. And what his kind of argument, and I think where he landed was, um, you know, it was like enough to preserve the wine but not too much uh, that it starts masking um, the flavor mm. flavor of the wine and the natural the natural uh, aromas that it, it it provides. And what happened was is Jules started um, producing wine in Morgan and then started mentoring another um, number of other producers. And that's where Marcel Lapier comes in because Jules uh, mentored him. And there were also three others that are very famous that he mentored: Guy Breton, uh, Jean Paul Fevenet, and Jean Follard. And uh, a famous US wine importer called Kermit Lynch dubbed them the Gang of Four. And Is that how it started? That, that was kind of like how it's, well, that's how the sort of romanticized uh, narrative of it goes. And it's their wines and the quality of their wines taking on Jules Chauvet's um, winemaking and viticultural principles, mm -hmm. the quality of their wines and the way they've marketed their products, brought their products to market. Um, is really seen as a sort of launch pad for the natural wine movement um, that, you know, so many of us know and love in all its sort of weird and bizarre shapes and forms, uh, half of which are sort of, to be honest, quite confusing and misleading. But they're really seen as sort of a launch pad for that. Um, and so it's just a really, really nice story. And, you know, I think with this wine, uh, it, 
it's important to recognise the role that that story plays in your enjoyment um, because it's quite fun to sort of get lost in the romanticism of it all and to really just enjoy uh, that narrative. And I challenge any, because I think there's nothing wrong with saying that the story of the wine influences your enjoyment of it. I mean, we've all been to a vineyard uh, and we've, we've all been to a vineyard and then you come back and you immediately have a much more of an emotional emotional. Uh, connection with that wine so i'd encourage everyone to just enjoy that story uh get lost in it um and just enjoy the wine for what it is and it really is a, a top top beaujolais and a, and a fine wine in its own right um and just smelling it you know it's already like giving off fresh berries it's relatively fresh um maybe slightly you know granite as well mm. and then on the palate again it's really fresh clean um you know there's enough body but it's just so fresh and, you know, you could just, you could drink lots of it basically. Yeah, I agree. It's, 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 uh, it's definitely, it's definitely drinkable. Um, I think the, yeah, the, the purity on the fruit is, purity of the fruit on the nose is really, really good. Um, it's slightly, and maybe that's because it's more gone, but yeah, slightly blackberry, a little bit deeper in profile. Um, and on the palate, it's sort of got these dry, fine tannins that are quite persistent um, and actually, kind of make you keep going back for you know another another sip because it's it's very easy to it's very easy to drink i think it's a i think it's a really great wine i haven't had um this might be the first morgan i've actually had you know i don't think i've had a morgan before Mm. um so just quite an interesting quite an interesting experience but yeah um really really good um and as you say great producer yeah great producer it's sort of you know got a story that's got a bit of a cult following and is a bit of folklore. Um, and yeah, as I said, you know, enjoy the story as much as, as the wine and just get lost in it. Mm. And yeah, it comes highly recommended um, just to just a really top wine from a top producer. Be quite, it'd be quite cool to have the others, um, uh, you know, Jean Foyard, for example, um, and try their Morgan in comparison, see any differences in like producer style. Yeah. Um, you know, given that they all focus on the same sort of viticultural practices. I think that pretty much brings us to the end of the episode today. Perfect. To be honest, I'm just reflecting. I mean, we had three really, really cool wines today. And I guess, you know, key points from us, um, you know, thank you so much uh, to anyone who's listened this far. Just massively, massively appreciate the support. Um, Remember that we'll be posting links to the wines in the descriptions of these episodes on whatever channel um, you're following. And if you um, enjoyed the episode, Follow the channel, subscribe to the channel. Um, we're on all audio channels on YouTube. And then also follow us uh, on social media. We're on Instagram and Facebook. And the handle is at the Premier Crew. So if you're, I think we've got it now across all channels at the Premier Crew. So yeah. if you're looking for us, that's what you need to type in. That, that's the one. Um, follow us. And yeah, there you can get, uh, stay tuned for, for, for updates. But yeah, a massive thank you. Uh, and we'll be back uh, next week. with a new guest but we will reveal that on our socials Uh, so yeah stay tuned for some updates thanks so much guys